The following program is not ashamed of the gospel and is about to tell you the truth. Plain fact is, religion must die for mankind to live. The hour is getting very late to be able to indulge in having key decisions made by religious people, by irrationalists. Faith means making a virtue out of not thinking. It's nothing to brag about. And those who preach faith and enable and elevate it are our intellectual slaveholders. Religion, to me, is a giant elephant in the room of comic gold because, you know, we're talking about a garden with a talking snake. If you can't find humor there, people are just used to it. Yeah. That's why they don't laugh at it. You wish that Christians were more, if they were really going to be Christians, were, would be more Christ-like. Don't we all? I think everybody, I mean, that's something I don't think is even controversial, yeah. that the message of Jesus, which is very good. Life matters, and the issues in life matter because they affect how we live our lives. In this podcast, Pastor Walt McFadden thinks out loud about truth and discerns how it is being applied to everyday life. Thinking Out Loud podcast is a production of City View Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Well, we're back in the studio. It's nice to see you, you know, without a mask on and, and right across from me, and you're live. I love it. Yeah, we both had coronavirus and we're still alive. Yes, we are. And a lot of things have happened in the world, Pastor Walt. You know that, I know that, since you were back in the studio to do a podcast. Today we're going to talk about that. It's kind of like a cultural update. And you're going to give us your insights into what you see happening and what you see probably coming in the future. So I'm excited about that. I so am too. let's get started. Where do you want to begin? Well, let's just do an overview of what's happened. I live in Minneapolis. We live in Minneapolis. This is our city. I've been here for 30 years. How long have you been in Minneapolis? Oh, gosh, a long time, since seventh grade. And seventh grade, Seventh wow. grade, and, and I am now, should I tell my age? But uh, 70 years old. Okay. I've turned 70 in December. So, yeah, I've been here a long time. Yeah, me too. I guess it's been 35 years now, if I think about it. 35, wow. 36. Came in 84, whatever that is. I'm surprised you're not a liberal. Yeah, it's tough <laughs> to hang on to those conservative <laughs> values. But I don't know that we changed that much. I came into high school. And when I was uh, raised, I was raised in a Democratic home and I was rooting for Jimmy Carter. And then by the time we got to Ronald Reagan, I thought this Jimmy Carter guy is really doing a lousy job. I was just in junior high school and I was really excited when I came out of choir practice and heard Ronald Reagan won. So I'm a diehard conservative, but that isn't what we're necessarily here to talk about. But I'm open with my congregation about my my political perspective, I believe that leftism, communism, socialism are extremely dangerous, especially for Christians. And that's part of the direction I think we're heading is toward persecution because loyalty to government historically requires that we become disloyal to God and that we give all of our loyalty to our government, whatever form that might be. Christians endured it through early centuries of Christianity under the Roman Empire. And now we see a lot of people jockeying for position and for power in our culture. And where's the church in all of that? The church should be separate, as we talked about before. But now we have such a mingling together of mm -hmm. politics. And mm -hmm. we can't seem to 
formulate a strong theology of bringing the gospel and for fulfilling the Great Commission outside of our political ideology. So I can maintain my political ideology. I can believe that conservatism is best and still have a separate kind of perspective on the gospel. And that's my job. My job is to bring the kingdom of God to the world, a new kingdom that will replace all of the kingdoms of the world. We've gone through, first, the coronavirus hit us kind of out of nowhere. And then, you know, people were scared about that. We had lockdowns. We had never experienced anything like that before. Then we came into the riots, and all of a sudden it seemed like the coronavirus was gone. Things settled down. Now we're back to coronavirus. Now we came into a very tumultuous election, and there have been a lot of prophetic words about these elections. And I think the intentions of the people might be good, and they believe what they're saying, but it looks like tomorrow we're going to see the inauguration of a new president, and then what is the response of the church to that? So I think the church has been heading, I truly believed for quite a while, and you know I don't have such a good track record on this, because I thought back in the 90s, no way people will ever accept gay marriage. That's, just, that's absurd. But I didn't recognize the indoctrination of the next generation and how it was just speaker after speaker after speaker coming into high schools across the nation, and then this pressure, this social pressure to conform. So I didn't think I would experience persecution in my lifetime. I thought certainly my kids will. I was just trying to kind of calculate out what will happen over the next 20, 25 years, but now I'm not really sure that I won't wind up in prison for preaching the gospel. And we see it in different ways. We see people have been to these rallies, you know, to support Trump. They're losing their jobs. We've seen people lose their jobs for a long time for not bowing down to political correctness. I wish the church would open up its eyes to see the danger of leftism. I really do. Well, and I think we've been so indoctrinated, Pastor Walt, that it's difficult to get rid of those ideas. You know, I read a, an article the other day from a radical group, but they called the Bible a white racist manual. And I thought to myself, wow, this is, is this the beginning of persecution? That anybody that is Christian or evangelical, you know, that really takes the Bible as a heart and preaches it, I'm telling you, if that spreads, you're right. You may be in jail yeah. because you're a guy of all the pastors that I have watched or attended churches. You tell the truth. You tell it straight. There's a narrowness to your understanding, which is what biblical, you know, Jesus said narrow is the way, right? And you're preaching that narrow way. And that is so refreshing. And your church, I think we should mention that your church isn't in the suburbs. You're right downtown or right in the area where all the riots took place, you know, where all the th stuff was happening. You weren't far from where George Floyd died, and you maintained a light that whole time in what you did. And I, that is so, it just speaks well of you and your leadership and the church. I live in the community and I was caught off guard by all of this. And there's a panic and there's a fear. Every night we were sitting out on our street with our neighbors, having the block barricaded. Nobody come through unless they lived on the street. We saw the fires and the burning and didn't know if that was going to come down our street and we were going to get burned out. Nobody knew what was going on. That was a very frightening time. One young man in my church called me and said, I don't want to sit around and stew and be afraid and lose my composure. 
can we do something? I said, yeah, the only thing I really know is let's just get the men in the church together. So I called as many of the guys in the church that I could, and we had about 20 guys showed up, and I said, I want you to leave your wives, and I want you to leave your homes, and I want you to come to the church every single day for at least some period of time. I want us to just serve the community. I want us to get involved. I want us to be present in all of this. The first day that we were feeding people, was the day everybody marched past, right past our church down to the 5th precinct, and we thought for sure that would be burned down that night. Somehow it survived. But there were people passing us by and handing us money right and left. <laughs> it was it was really amazing to see people who wanted nothing to do with Jesus giving us money because we were out and we were doing something good, and we continued that on for quite some time. So where are we at now, and where are we going, and what is God saying? One of the principles that I am seeing more clearly in the scripture is that God, Jesus will return and he'll judge the nations. And I know there's some different kinds of interpretations of where, you know, Jesus calls the nations before him and he judges them. But I still believe that God has messages for specific nations. And there is an idea that's crept into some of the church to say that God does not judge nations. That's an Old Testament concept and America is not going to be judged because look at the past sins of America. We weren't judged for those. And I can argue back and forth and say, yes, we've always been judged for the things that we've done in the past that are, are against God's laws and precepts. And now we're in this position where, you know, what is going to be the future of America? I'm sad to see the loss of what I, the country that I grew up in. I think there's a better way to change things and a proper way to change things than what we're seeing right now with, with the violence and the rioting and the increase in crime and so forth. We've lost the idea and the concept that God judges specific nations. All through the Old Testament, there are prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled, talking about the future of regions, people groups, nations. And the other thing that we need to understand is that God judges cities. So he judged the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. If you look at the Old Testament, if you look at the culture, Rome was a city. We think of it as, in our minds, we think of it as a nation, but it was a city-state. Babylon was a city-state, and God brought judgment to those specific cities. So how can we take a look at a city like Minneapolis or Chicago or San Francisco or whatever it is and see, is there a destiny? Is there something in the future for a specific city. Okay, Pastor Walt, you're saying that God judges nations and he judges cities. What is the judgment? What, why is he judging it? What, what is it in the components of those places? Because they're a collection of people, right? Mm -hmm. Cities are a collection of people. Nations are a collection of more people. Why is he judging them? There's a crossing line, and this, is, this thought doesn't originate with me, but a uh, about 10 years ago, John MacArthur preached a sermon on homosexuality and why our culture would be judged because of homosexuality. Every culture from the beginning of time has had homosexuality in it. It's a common sin, just like prostitution is a common sin. The turning point is when the culture begins to celebrate sin openly, and that defies the law of God, and it's sort of shaking your finger at God, and you become rebellious. You become like a, like every child does wrong things, but point where the parent is in trouble is when that child crosses that line and they become belligerent and they become rebellious. We've also seen movements like celebrate your abortion or shout your abortion, I guess is the right term. So now we don't just have abortion, 
but we're actually celebrating it. We're boasting about it. We're bragging about it openly. And that is something that God will not tolerate. We also have this, I just would call him a yokel, a so-called Methodist minister gets up in the House of Representatives and says, amen, a woman. And he's trying to play it off and say it was a pun. But what about the rest of your prayer where you say, I pray in the name of Brahma and any other God under the sun? And I guess he mentions Jesus in the prayer as well. But when you also take Jesus and you place him in the mix of other gods, that becomes an abomination. There are two different words in the Hebrew word for abomination. One of them is if you eat shellfish, that's an abomination. That's a different Hebrew word. But then there's another one that uses that is used to describe sexual sin and horrific types of sins, including homosexuality in the Old Testament. And that word is an abomination. And God says, I'm not going to tolerate that anymore. When the Israelites were sacrificing their children in the fire, God says, for this sin, I will not relent my judgment. So you look at a, just our own city of Minneapolis here, looking on the broader perspective of our nation, and you see where our nation is going. And you had mentioned the young people saying that the um, the Bible was, what is it, white supremacy, hate yeah, speech? They, well, there were some groups that were saying that. They were yeah. starting to you know, get that in social media, and, and I predicted that, that would happen. I mean, it stands to reason, because if you're preaching the truth, especially like you do, you're going to come under condemnation. Now, some other churches that just, you know, believe in all the what the culture is saying, they're not going to be touched because they're, you know, kind of in their camp. Yeah. But it, yeah, what do you do with that? I mean, I think it's going to come down to a lot of pastors saying, I can't preach that, you know, because mm-hmm. we'll get we'll get tagged and we'll get demonstrated against. And they don't want that headache. No, I, I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to be away from my wife. I don't want to be under persecution. And sometimes I, at this point, I feel like I'm still fortunate. I was talking to a teacher in our congregation, and he said he doesn't dare open his mouth about anything to do with the coronavirus, let alone tell anybody that he's a conservative or they voted Republican in the last election or whatever. He said, I wouldn't dare it. It's just not worth it because I'm going to be an outcast. I'm going to be pushed out. I'm going to be isolated. My wife experienced that in the education system for for 30 years. She just had to go have lunch somewhere else in the building because she couldn't listen to not just the bashing of her political party, but the bashing of Christians. Mm -hmm. And that has filtered down into the generation that we have right now, Mm -hmm. who believe, many of them, that Christianity should not just be tolerated, it should be stamped out. You know, we look at these things, and this is where our political ideology gets us in trouble. When you see various aspects of social media being shut down Mm -hmm. because a person has a particular political view, and you're encouraging that because they don't agree with your side, and you don't recognize the danger in that for everybody. Just a little short rabbit trail here is I've really struggled with this idea of religious freedom and thinking about, yeah, we're not promised religious freedom as believers. We're strangers, we're aliens in this world. But what would we experience in the kingdom of God? We will have the freedom to worship Jesus Christ. So anything that puts down, it's sort of like, like yeah, let's just roll over and let's just let all this happen and let's just give up all of our religious freedom. I still think there's something worth fighting for there because all over the world, people are experiencing persecution because of their religious beliefs. And here we have this great country where you can 
worship whatever God you want. And Christians just kind of have this, well, we're not promised religious freedom. But again, does that go with your political ideology? Is that what your political party supports? And you, you start just justifying everything, whether it's right or left, you just start justifying whatever your political party says is okay. And you don't see that you don't have a biblical worldview. Barna's been telling us this for decades, that the church doesn't have a biblical worldview. Why? Because we're not taught the Bible. We're not encouraged to read the Bible. We're not encouraged, let alone read it. Study? To study the Bible? Yeah. Tell me what your worldview, what that worldview is. Yeah. Can you unpack it? Sure. Number one, God is in control of all things. He is sovereign. God rules and reigns over the universe. I don't have the answer to all the intricate questions of that as to, you know, why does God allow this and why does God allow that and why is God allowing my country to slip through my hands? And we have these Christians praying. I know that God is so sovereign that he can even use evil for good. And there are many passages in the scripture that we can look at and say, you look at the life of Joseph. You talk about injustice. Right. Look at Jesus, Mm -hmm. the injustice that he experienced that led to the redemption of the whole world so that God is absolute sovereign. Number two, that Jesus Christ is the only way to God, that he, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he meant it. And I've seen plenty of liberal commentary. Well, Jesus didn't really mean that. Yeah, he <laughs> he also didn't believe the sky was blue or whatever you come up with. Jesus is absolutely the only way to heaven. And you never, ever leave the door open for that when you're preaching out of the scripture. You know, the proverb writer says that God tests the hearts. And so is he testing our hearts? You were saying earlier that God's going to judge nations and, and cities. And if God tests the heart, what's he testing for? And is this an era we're going into that he's going to test to see what we really believe? Because you've already said it, Pastor Walt, that so many Christians don't have a Christian worldview. Will he test that by perhaps the evil, I'm just saying, some of the evil that's going to come out of, say, the next administration? Because we know they're very left-leaning. And like Dennis Prager says, everything that the left touches, it destroys. So we can expect some of that. And so is he testing our hearts? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. A friend of mine just shared with me, in the next 18 months, according to Barna Research, 20% of the churches in the United States are going to close. Whoa. How many dozens, hundreds, thousands, or tens of thousands is it? I wanted to look up this morning, how many churches are there in the United States? Well, there's about 400,000. 400,000 churches in the United States. So... 4,000 churches. No, no, 20%. That's 8,000, right? Mm-hmm. Am I getting that number right? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or is it 80,000? Anyway, we can calculate later. It's a lot. Thousands of churches are going to close. How is that going to impact communities and cities? And how is that going to impact our nation? Or is it going to finally shut the door on a lot of these churches that have done nothing except kind of have a social club here for the there's there's a lot in that mix there might be some churches that are preaching the gospel that aren't going to survive just because they can't pay the heat bill but there's going to be a lot of churches they should have turned the lights out a long time ago because the spirit of god left decades it ichabod might, ichabod yeah it might have been planted mm-hmm. in the very beginning with the call to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, just like this little Lutheran church, Lebanon Lutheran over in, in uh, Minneapolis where we used to rent. The former pastor looked in the articles of incorporation and found the purpose of that church was to lift high the cross of Jesus Christ. How many churches, and that he used that to save that church mm. from 
basically closing and signing on with all of this rainbow flag and gay marriage and pro-choice and all this other nonsense pouring into the church. People, and the other part too is people don't see that stuff as a concern anymore. We're mm-hmm. so focused on the social justice aspect there is no gospel that you put a name in front of. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Period. When you read the gospels, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Mark, mm-hmm. the gospel of Jesus Christ according to John. It's not Mark's gospel or John's gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Good point. So there's no patriot gospel. There's no social justice gospel. Even the word social justice, we trust the world, we trust society to bring justice. The only one who can bring justice is God, the pure gospel, because it's a phenomenal message, right? It's a phenomenal message, and that's our hope. And that's where I like to end today is in this hope, because you've been talking about truth for the last 20 some odd minutes. You've been digging deeper and, and exposing things and whatever. That's good. We need to hear that. But we also have to hear what's hopeful. Where do we go as Christians with all this mess we have to face, including persecution, as you said? Where's the hope? Okay, here's the hope. Number one, God is going to judge America. I'm telling you it's going to happen in some way, shape, or form. And as he's judged before, he protects those Absolutely. that are his. And the hope, that's, and that's the hope. The hope because God is sovereign, because God is in control, that even in judgment, his plans and his purposes will be brought to fruition. I'll end with an encouraging verse. You, we always look at the verses and we say, I have a plan for you. I have a hope for you from the book of Jeremiah. And God says, this is going to happen. You're going into exile. You're going to be in judgment. But I want you to continue to have families, to build homes. Don't stop your life. Don't go become a prepper. Trust me, and I'll take care of it because I have a plan for you, and I have a hope for you. Great words. Great words, Pastor Walt. Anything about the church that you want to say before we close out? Well, you're welcome to come and join with us and open up the Bible together. I'm Right now, I'm in a series on the end times, and we're learning a lot, some new things. We're getting rid of some old ideas, and we're really focusing on the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we are on 31st Street and 4th Avenue in South Minneapolis. The correct address is 3041 4th Avenue South. Services at 1030. You do not have to sign in or register to attend. Just come. We've got room. And the name of the church again? City View Church. You know, there, there was a time there uh, where I, you know, I was very strict Catholic, and then when I got to Hollywood, and all of a sudden you're giving the keys to the candy stores and temptation abounds. And I started to believe my own publicity. No question, I admit it. I, I, I just lost my way. But every time I came back to Rocky, I was given a new shot in the arm, a new reawakening. And then I would abuse it again. And finally, there, it led to about 12 years of I just was spiraling down. And, and finally, I said, I got to stop. I have to get back to basics. And I really decided to take things out of my own hands and put it in God's hands because I always felt... I was chosen to do something. I was never a writer. I was never an exemplary student. All of a sudden, one day, I started writing Rocky. I wrote it in three days, and it wins the Oscar. And I cannot assume that I did this all on my own. I really do not believe that for for a second. And I feel the same thing with the uh, last film, that there was a calling. I wanted to do it. And for some reason, I think right now, it's it's a perfect message 
for what's going on, right? You know, the world's in upheaval. We don't have certain individuals we can look up to. And Rocky's a humble man who really believes in sacrificing himself for the good of others. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And please let us know your thoughts on our topic. We want to hear your feedback and your concerns as you think out loud. Please visit us at cvcmpls.org. That's cvcmpls.org. This podcast is listener-supported. Please consider how you can help by going to our website at cvcmpls.org.